Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we have a real treat for you on the show. Stephen Gyllenhaal, who is a director, producer, poet, and writer. He's also a father and grandfather. Above all, and these are my words, I think he's a beautiful human on a mission to make this world a better place through the art of storytelling. We met at a private screening for a documentary he's directed and produced called Uncharitable. This was last week. This is, just to give you some context, as I think the whole world should watch this, this is a highly anticipated and much needed documentary exposing the dark side of philanthropy and the need for radical change in charitable practices. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll get into the doc, uh, your work, all of the things I've, I've mentioned in your, your title. But before we get into that, uh, I typically start this show to try to avoid job titles with one question. And that you're the perfect person to ask this question because I'm sure you've thought about this. Who are you? Who are you today? Who's the Steven in front of us? Huh. Um, well, I think as with every single human being, that's a profoundly complex question to answer if you want to go towards the complex and actually towards the impossible to describe. Because you can't really define any human being or me as just an isolated organism functioning on his or her own. You have to first say, well, you were born into a family, you were born into an environment. If you hadn't been born, if you hadn't been conceived and evolved in a womb, so you're in a womb, so you can't really separate out whatever happened from the very beginning, even go back further, so you have conception. Okay, it all begins at conception. Most people think it starts at birth, but no, it doesn't. It starts at conception. But conception involves genetic, epigenetics, DNA, transgenerational trauma, and transgenerational gifts. So what am I? I'm an accumulation of things I don't remotely understand, <laughs> which is epigenetics. I do understand it to some degree, but really not the implications of it, that in one of the tiniest molecular structures, which is a sperm, tiny, 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 the egg is a little bigger, is a massive amount of information, almost an infinite amount of information in that. So when you begin to look at the microscopic you get caught now post 20th century when they began to have microscopes and they began to see that nothing made sense molecularly, which is why they came up with quantum physics. Another thing I don't understand, and anyone who says they do are liars, even the scientists don't understand it because yeah. um, it's things can go forwards and mo molecules can go forwards and backwards at the same time. They can affect things a thousand miles away. Nothing makes any sense anymore, except if you look at it as energy. So energy becomes increasingly difficult to define. I am made of energy with the delusion that it's molecular. It goes back way before me. I'm now in a womb that's not mine. I'm developing that way. I am unconscious through that period. I'm not really totally unconscious, which is actually more complicated. So if you go back microscopically, I don't know what the hell is going on, really. 
if you then expand and go, okay, well, I'm I can't define myself as not having been in a womb. I can't define myself as not having been born. I can't define myself as not having been in a family. I have five younger brothers and sisters. I have aunts and uncles. I grew up in a town. If you took all that away, I wouldn't exist. Of course. I, I wouldn't yeah. exist. I mean, and, and, and beyond that, then you go back, you go, okay, well, what about planet Earth? Okay. If, if there was no planet Earth, there would be no environment. There'd be no air. I wouldn't exist either, but I would be dead if it was suddenly taken away. So how do I separate me from everything around me? And then you go, okay, well, that's enough. That's what we had for a long time. There's the earth, there's the clouds, you know, God or whatever you want to call him. It's a him in the old days, always a him, 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 almost invariably, not always, but generally. It's a little problematic because was it a him that made earth and the clouds? Complicated. I haven't seen a him that's been able to do that. So that's confusing. But then you go, oh, wait a minute. We're not just a flat plane with the edge being dropped off and turtles on the bottom of it like those maps. It's actually a whole universe. So how do I define myself without also using the environment, not just planet Earth, but, well, my galaxy, and then with whatever the hell's going on with the James Webb telescopes, and you're going, and you go, so I give up. Fascinating. I don't yeah. know what I am, but I am. <laughs> I am. Also, I, there's the answer. I am. Who I am, am I? I am. I am. I love it. Or I am. You know, I think, therefore, I am is the most ridiculous idea. Descartes, you know, and the whole Western civilization is based on, I think, therefore, I am. Yeah, yeah. you think? That doesn't make any yeah. sense. I also feel. I'm also in a body. And so I would, if I saw Descartes now, I'd like to say, uh, wait a minute. Uh, you should take a look at the James Webb telescope photographs and rethink what you thought thinking meant about being in existence. So I am. Therefore, I am. I think I am. I don't even know that, but here we are. <laughs> so, here we are. I've my, I've been met. I, I should I should have known this day was going to come. Writing a book with the title called "Personal Socrates." I've been met <laughs> with my matching questions. <laughs> Let me. I'm going to. First of all, thank you for going into that detail. I think uh, we we've jumped in real hot in in a good way. And there's some great questions you left there. But I am going to rephrase this question. Okay. Because um, there's a couple characteristics I'd love to just know about you uh, to, to guide some of the conversation. If I were to ask Luke, Jake, or Maggie to describe, like, who is your dad without saying he's a director, a poet, a writer, what would they say? What are the words they would use? Characteristics. They would say I was not a great dad, particularly Maggie and Jake, I think. Um, I was away a lot making movies. I was young, too young. I didn't know what I was doing there either, any more than I know how to define myself. Um, I'd say if I were lucky, they'd say I was a bad father, not a great dad, you know, 65% of the time and maybe 35% of the time I was a good dad and I loved them and I played and I'm a big kid in a lot of ways. I like to play a lot, which is can be a little problematic as a parent, although I was also a pretty tough parent in some ways. They would say that was bad too. Um, and, and I would have to agree with them, I think, on looking at going back over all this. And I am writing a memoir um, <laughs> because I had to try and figure out who I was. <laughs> and the memoir is not going to really help. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think 
That means I'm batting 350, 35%, which is okay. not bad in baseball. Sure. And, and I would say the proof is kind of in the pudding. You know, I have three kids and I, and I don't know how or why at all they have turned out the way they have. Much of it has nothing to do with me. But I can say, and the evidence is out there, that I make them smart and pretty. And, and I'm very <laughs> participated in whatever degree I have in allowing that to happen. Um, so I think, I think that's one way they would describe me. Okay. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm going to pull this, the, this thread a little bit because it was something you don't know about me that, and I, I felt this when you were on the, answering some of the questions that during the Q and a on the panel or during the screening, so my dad, uh, my dad had, I, I'm from a second marriage. I have two, I have a half brother and half sister, basically same age gap, um, that, that you have with your, your kids. And what I, I don't think I ever heard my dad say this, but I felt this and my mom's mentioned this before, but in a way I was kind of like a second chance, um, in parenting. And, you know, a lot of what you said, uh, uh, different industries, different circumstances, but I, I kind of heard, you know, similar themes to that with my dad. I'm curious, you know, in terms of where you're at right now, and you've got Luke, Luke's nine, right? I believe almost, almost nine, almost, almost nine. nine. You know, like how I didn't expect you to say, you know, some of the, the characteristics you mentioned, uh, you know, how Maggie and Luke would describe you, but I'm, I'm curious how you're, how you mentally, you know, accept that and like what. Like, how are you parenting now? You know, what's, what, what wisdom are you trying to transfer, I guess, at those different ages? It's very interesting and, again, very complex. Because I've been working for about four years, even five years, I think, on a, on a memoir, which really kind of started around the pandemic, I think, really seriously started. And then kind of I got more into it as my second marriage um, has shifted. I mean, it's working well, but we are um, moving in separate directions and it was not easy for me. Um, and I then really turned to the survival strategy of writing a book to get through the, mm. the pain and the, and the bewilderment around all of those things. Anyone who's been through a divorce and I've been through one and sort of wherever this is going now, probably in that direction as well. Um, you know, Life is hard and complicated and bewildering. And, um, and I think uh, I, I would be careful saying that I'm a better parent now than I was then. I would more say I'm a, very, I'm a different parent. Sure. And the, the way it's complicated is, as I've been working on the memoir, I've had to go back into my past and really look at it. And I've had the, the time and the profound luxury, being a white guy and a film director. And, you know, it's like, and, you know, being able to make a movie about charity is, you know, and I do have an institute that I founded, a, a nonprofit institute of my own, which is all about the psychological um, uh, dynamics of development, human development, really from conception and before through all of life. So a very, very privileged life. And I think one of the things is, and I don't want to get down a rabbit hole, but the world is profoundly unfair profoundly unfair. And I think yeah. as I have dealt with human development, the degree to which women have been mercilessly handled 
through the centuries impacts, first of all, pregnancy and all those kinds of things, but it's been profoundly unfair. And I've been very privileged in many, many ways. So given that I can look at certain things, I can take a bunch of years and work on a memoir. Just that in and of itself is a, is a profound luxury. But in it, what I have discovered is that the women in my life, in a very complicated way, delivered to me some of the most important material of who I am. And I had three, you know, four grandparents. Three of them were very dramatic and kind of well-known and like one grandfather, new President Hoover, of all the presidents to know, that wouldn't be the one to know, Herbert Hoover. You in Canada <laughs> don't even know about him really, but he was a terrible <laughs> president. And that's the one my grandfather knew, which says something, only something about my grandfather. And there was one grandparent who was kind of just lost in the mix. She was my mother, my father's mother. We called her Seashore Granny. I didn't really know anything about what her. I mean, Seashore Granny. Seashore Granny. She had a cottage at the near the ocean, so we called her okay. Seashore Granny. I like that. And she, her husband, committed suicide when she had six kids. She raised all six kids. She got the, all six of them—three girls and three boys—through college. Three, the three boys were in World War II. She got them all through that. Um. And, and she grew up in a small religious town in Pennsylvania in the middle of podunk nowhere. It's the, it's like I live in the bubble inside the bubble. She lived inside the, the bubble on the wrong side of the sort of the reverse of that down in the middle of nowhere. And she was a writer, um, even as she was a mother and huge stigma around her husband committing suicide and all these kinds of things in a very religious community. But I learned she wrote articles from a Calls magazine, which at the time was one of the biggest magazines in, in North America. I think it was in Canada and the United States, too. And the, and the articles were about the importance of chaos in raising children. Mm. Radical idea. The importance of chaos. It's all about discipline. Even now, it's all about discipline your children. Discipline your children. Now, I didn't know this until recently, but that came through my father, who was a mess. Yeah. World War II veteran, commander of five tanks, um, freed the concentration camps, never recovered, alcoholic, um, PTSD, died young. But he imbued in me, without me knowing, the importance of utter chaos in the process of developing children. And in a strange way, I think it's my grandmother, who was never really remembered, who had this tiny little life in many ways, once her husband committed suicide, she didn't really participate in this society too much more. She was quite quiet. I remember her walking along the beach when she was, when she died, when I think it was nine, walking alone on the beach into the fog. I remember it very clearly. Wow. That she was the person who delivered to me the importance, really the importance of what is going on around human development. She was there back in the 1930s when nobody was thinking about this stuff. She, now, she came from a very interesting family in the South. She came from the South. Her father was a publisher of the newspapers. Actually, it was the beginning of the McClatchy newspaper chain, which my brother then became involved with. He doesn't even know my brother, Anders. Um, uh, he's two years younger than me. He's the most rotten human being in the world. He, he got born on my birthday. He's been really enlightened his whole effing life. He's a great musician. He plays the banjo. He's like, he's just irritating because he's just so cool. <laughs> and, and then he wrote a book and I'm going to do a pitch. Then he wrote a book. So then he was, and he, he, he was, um, 
he, he ran, he was editor in chief of the Miami Herald and other things. And he's you know, won Pulitzer's, he was on the Pulitzer board. It was really irritating because he just was such, and he did it with such a plum, you know? So then I figured he's retired. He was 65. He had to retire. He was done. He gets a, uh, I'm getting off track, but anyway, I won't go too into details. I figured he'd retired. He was getting to bird watching. And I go, that's great. You're retired. Now it's my time to be king of the road. I'm the oldest. It's time for me to be in charge. And then one day, I see there's an article in the New York Times by him and his wife about uh, birds, the importance of birds. Then there was one in <laughs> then there was one in this paper and that paper. And then they wrote a book called um, A Wing and a Prayer. Go buy the book. Make me even angrier at my brother. Everyone <laughs> go out and buy the book. A Wing and a Prayer by Anders Gyllenhaal and Beverly Gyllenhaal. Awesome book about the importance of birds and what's what they are sort of the canary in the in the coal mine letting us know half the birds have disappeared on the planet because of all the problems that exist. So it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful book. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. But, um, but he also, I think, gained what my grandmother really forgotten delivered, which is chaos is critical in child rearing, letting things just happen, being sure that the children are safe, but letting them unfold in their own way. It's sort of like, and I think it's what has led me slowly into doing what I do now. And it also speaks to the fact that honestly, my other three grandparents sucked in so yeah. many ways, so many ways sucked. One killed yeah. himself. I won't go into the other two. It was yeah. like not a great choice of grandparents, but she, all you need is one person way, way, way back there. And so I would say, coming back to your first question, I would definitely place before some kind of altar or whatever you want to call it towards my, my grandmother, seashore granny, um, the, the respect and the honor of being a, a really interesting person who thought, who thought outside the box, who actually was a feminist when nobody else was, and still nobody in my hometown is. They're mainly, I love them, they're great, there are a lot of Trumpers, very conservative. There's a whole issue going on about they have no, the ministers all have to be men. You know, it's very conservative. Even back in the 30s, she was a feminist. And that was profoundly important in terms of my identity. Um, and I think also in my parenting. So my parenting has been a bit, my whole life is a bit chaotic. Yeah. Um, that's where creativity sits. Well, I was going to say, but I suspect that Jake and Maggie have picked up, maybe they haven't talked to you or you guys haven't talked about this, but I suspect they've picked up that yeah. interesting, you know, that perspective of being interesting and thinking outside the box. Yeah, they asking questions. Definitely. definitely. And I and I actually see me as a as a vehicle. Easier to be a white guy in 21st century, you know, or 20th century in the 60s. I grew up in the 60s. Easier to be able to embrace chaos and these ideas than to be a conservative woman from the South post-Civil War. I mean, she was still reverberating from the Civil War. To come North where she knew nobody and to emerge with these ideas that then effloresced through me into my two children right now who are incredibly successful. The third one, I think, is going to some version of that's going to happen. You know, and it's because of one person. I mean, I really think. Oh, yeah. It's That's because powerful. of one person who thought outside the box, who stuck by her guns, who was humble in many, many ways, tough. She was tough, 
She was a tough yeah. old broad when I knew her. She made the best cinnamon buns in the world. I don't know. I've got to gotten off on my grandmother, but she deserves <laughs> to be honored. You know, and she was yeah. utterly forgotten, completely forgotten. Yeah. But it, you know what's interesting? I mean, utterly forgotten, but to your point in, in the realization, I think it seems like you've come through in going through the, the process of writing the memoir, which to me seems like a giant journaling exercise. And that's, that's yeah, yeah. my practice. That's how this podcast actually started was through a journaling app that, that I'd created or co-founded. Um, but isn't it interesting that it, you're pretty, I str- you're pretty humble individual from, from what I've, you know, gotten to, to, to know just from, from meeting yesterday, even in or last week and even in this conversation, but through her, you know, your, your films, your movies, your TV series, all of that, the ripple effect, right? And if I think of just uncharitable and the ripple effect that's possible and that will happen because of that film, how powerful is that? You know, I think, I think it's really true. I think, and I think it doesn't matter if you're remembered, really, it doesn't matter if you have impacted people psychologically, epigenetically, spiritually, if you want to use that word, it's a word that scares the shit out of me. Um, but it is a word you have to consider when you kind of begin talking about the universe, because then you get caught with the problem. We can go back to this for a minute where, where my eight year old, where Luke said, dad, dad, okay, there was a big bang, but what was there before the big bang? And you kind of go, and what is it all going into dad? Now this is an eight year old. And this is, I think because of my grandmother again, that he's thinking so outside the box, but it kind of erases the whole foundation of science which yeah. is also falling apart now. I don't know if you've been reading the articles that what's emerging from the James Webb telescope is that nothing is making sense again. Yeah. And so Sorry. the Big Bang isn't really working. And my eight-year-old figured it out. And so like the emperor's got no clothes, everybody. So it's, it's wonderful because to be uncertain is the way you move forward. Mm. To be uncertain is, you know, I have no certainty. And yeah, am I, am I humble at best? Am I humiliated often? I think... If you're actually trying to accomplish things, and I am trying to accomplish a lot of things now, yeah, you are faced with at least, I'd say it's 65, 35 at best, 65 I'm making mistakes, 35% I'm getting it right, and half of what I'm getting right is because I'm stealing it from someone else who's told me I was wrong. So it's like, but I just plow forward and do shit. And yeah. if you're really doing stuff, I don't think can, you can be particularly arrogant because it's, I mean, maybe you can, I don't know. I mean, Elon Musk, I don't know where he's coming from. I ha- I love his car. I mean, I have a, one of his cars. I have a used, an old, they talk about Teslas. I've got an old, old Tesla. One of the first ones that came out is still running great. Everybody. That's my other advertisement. Go buy my brother's book so I can hate him more. <laughs> a wing and a prayer. And by the way, all you people who are worried about EV cars and you can't figure out how to get power to them. And, you know, the Tesla and Elon Musk is crazy, I think. Or whatever he is, he, you know, he's also on a journey. Who knows what his he's journey interesting. is? He's interesting. The car is fabulous. Okay, those are my two advertisements. <laughs> okay. But by the question that, that surfaces for me is, how do you perform or thrive and do good quality work that you do in chaos? Hmm. Well... Let's dig into that. And let's go to my institute a little bit. And what I have learned about how to have now at almost 74 years old, 
I think, fully unleashed my capabilities. Mm. I, again, being white and privileged and college educated and blah, 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 and thinking outside the box and the support of some really interesting people, my grandmother being the major one, I was able to look at movies, which I didn't really see until I was in college and go, I want to do that. that that's what I want to do. I mean, I saw a movie, Fellini's La Strada, to me, another, that's an advertisement. Go watch Fellini's <laughs> La Strada, one of the great movies of all time. Frederico Fellini is awesome, awesome, awesome. Why does this movie suck? Don't watch Fellini's Satyricon. Sucks as a movie. Watch La Strada. It's black and white. I'm sorry. It's a great film. It's a movie that when I saw it, I want, I want, to, I want to do that. And my girlfriend at the time, who's into movies, she knew all about movies. I knew nothing about movies. I'm still I'm not great about, but I want, I want to do that. Mm. And I was privileged enough and outside the box enough to just decide I'm going to in a little religious town. I went to school. I almost flunked out. Who gives a shit? And I then, you know, made my first little Super 8 movie, which is back in the old days. And then I pretended I was a, a student at Yale because I just am a liar and a cheat. And I used their editing equipment. I just drove down to Yale and pretended I just went in because, you know, they're all kids that are even more privileged than me. A lot of them really, really smart. And I would just go in and sign my name in and I would cut my 16 millimeter films. <laughs> Yale. That's quit. awesome. So it's like, so it's, so I think, um, where were we? I'm sort of down a rabbit hole. Well, creating and, oh, oh, and oh, producing yeah. content in, in chaos. So, so then to go, to explore chaos a little bit, there was a whole era post sort of the, in the middle era of quantum mechanics is happening and quantum mechanics is getting clear where chaos theory in the eighties and nineties became a really, really important subject. And what it explored was what appears to be chaos is actually natural order. Ooh, that's an interesting, that, like that, that. it's it, what looks like cells just doing nothing at all, but out of control begin to accumulate in ways. And there's something called morphogenics, which I also don't understand totally. Um, that that somehow the universe somehow this what appears to be chaos is the natural order. So let's say, and this is where the institute comes in. Let's say we as human beings, at conception, and through the whole period of of um, in utero time in the womb, are profoundly fragile and vulnerable as we're developing the core of who we are. We are in a womb of an organism that, generally speaking, has been traumatized by sexism, rape, violence, murder, um, patriarchal structure, poverty, too much money, too little money, to a, a world that is not clear about itself at all. And you are in that womb. And I think it's a safe bet. And my experience in doing the work I do in the Institute is there's trauma and trauma yeah. impacts the organism and trauma. When you really define trauma is very different from stress. It gets confused. Trauma is when you cannot escape it. You cannot negotiate. You are screwed. You are screwed. And there's nothing you can do. So what, what happens is you freeze and the pain that happens, the trauma that happens, for instance, cortisol in a mother who is in an earthquake, for example, that was someone I dealt with or in a war or whatever, that level of cortisol in the mother, who's 10 times as big, even bigger than that, than this infant, the, the, the developing baby gets this hit of cortisol that is huge. 
So what it has to do is it has to adjust. It has to reorganize itself to handle it and survive. But it's in a womb. It can't move. It can't do anything. So it freezes. It's very painful. It's very, very painful. That pain has to be buried so the organism can go on. That's the core of what trauma is about. And you know, trauma psychology is now rampant through the psychological field, and I'm in that field a lot. And I think it's very, very important. But it, just like everything else, it gets confused when you say stress is trauma. Stress sure. is dreadful, but you can figure your way through it. Once yeah. you're three or four years old, you can have what would have been when you were in utero, a profound trauma. Now it's stress. It sucks. But so, so. With that yeah, but there's mind, a lot of both of that right now in the world. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And it's very important. It's a big shift in psychology. It's a very important shift. And my institute is directly in the middle of it because what hasn't been talked about is the earliest trauma. That the yeah. work that we do, because of the method, it's kind of like an iPhone. It's, I don't want to talk about how the iPhone works, but it works. In this method, you can go back and uncover what happened to you from conception through preverbal development, three years old. The time when, up until now, no one's been able to get to, except with pharmaceuticals, which doesn't work very well as far as I'm concerned. You couldn't get talk therapy to get back there. We can get back there to see what goes on. What, what went on with me, for instance, was profound trauma mm -hmm. in utero, and I have experienced it. And it's very, very, very painful. Very painful. And I think, I think really the only way to solve what I'm learning is, let's say you're depressed. Let's say you're seeing a, a therapist or not. You're just depressed. You can't get up. You can't function. Been there, done that. It's so bad you're thinking of killing yourself. Been there, done that. My my solution was to work, 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 work. No different than taking heroin on some level. Sure. It pays off a little better, but it's it's just as much burying what went on, which then yeah. I got diagnosed as, you know, everything. I got diagnosed multiple personality disorder. I got diagnosed schizophrenic. I got diagnosed all these things over the years. Therapy from college on. Really, though, what it's not depression it's despair down at the very deepest place if you can go back to that place which is what we do you can begin to be there with that little tiny part of you a lot of people talk about you know i have a some, uh, you know young part i have all those things very important we are one organism i think you know now we get back to the whole other problem you asked in the beginning but if we can get back to the that part if we can go and face the despair rather than it's just depression or we can go to what we think of as anxiety really it's terror it's existential terror when you are in utero you may die so the level of terror is extreme and you can't do anything about it so you're traumatized but you can go back there now and when you go back to this what feels like chaos but it's really nature doing the best it can in a planet in a universe or whatever we're in in a womb that is traumatizing. If you can go back there and just be with that part, be a parent in that part, be an adult. And what does that mean? To me, what I've learned is it means just be beside. When a child's hurt, when a child is terrified, don't tell them there's nothing to be terrified about. Don't tell him or her, oh, it's all okay, it's all okay. You know, you, you just, you got your leg 
hurt really badly. It's all okay. Stop crying. Stop crying. No, no, no. You say, just be with that child. Just hold the child. You have no answers. You're just there with them. So as long as you're making a connection, it starts to shift everything. And what I have found is you then start to get access to the parts that have been buried inside of you. So for me, I goof around more and more. I play more and more. I embrace chaos more and more and also have a parent part that goes, you know, you've worked hard enough now. Take a break. Or write that down. Take notes. Or you're not going to go to work now. Or, you know, you drink another cup of coffee. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, you know it's, it, it becomes yeah. a very interesting and I was, I was diagnosed multiple personality. I went through the whole 90s thing, and I think it's all very real. Luckily, I had some very serious trauma, very, very serious trauma, but way worse than most people. I mean, I can talk about my trauma. Which I, don't, I can do it I, right now. I don't think it's really worth it. But, but I don't really talk about it because trauma happened to me between four and six. That you can make a big dramatic thing out of. Really, the trauma was back in utero. In fact, mm. I'm even wondering now if the trauma that happened in utero and the reorganization of myself molecularly, psychologically, whatever, armored because I had to armor myself, burying the part of me that was most human and vulnerable. When I got faced the, the trauma older, I was an organism ready to be able to deal with it. Yeah. It's really yeah. complicated. Have we gone down a rabbit hole that's no, so far down a rabbit hole? <laughs> no, not at, not at all. I have two questions for you, but I'm going yeah. to timestamp and pause this. Could, do you mind just turning your notifications off, Stephen, if you can what? on your computer? Oh, oh. We'll edit that out. And I'll ask, we'll pick up from there. See, that was a very adult thing to do. <laughs> no, it was. It's like, it's like, okay, stop. We have to deal with technical stuff. We have to deal with this. We can then get back to the fun play stuff, but we yeah. got to get that done. And I have to be adult enough to go, I don't know what's going on here. You guide me through this. That's yeah. adult behavior. I like and it. Yeah. So well, well, you just, need adult behavior in all this. For sure. For sure. So picking up from that beautiful, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. But I imagine uh, many listening have probably not even thought about just even the idea of what happens in, in utero. Um, so in, intuitively or naturally, I have one question around that. And then I have just to plant this seed. The question is this, what knowing, you know, with the Institute and please provide some flavor to the, to the Institute and the work that you're doing there. But if we wanted, if we do want to dive deeper into understanding what happened, because uh, like you said, I think everyone has, has experienced something. Uh, we're all human, in, 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 as far as I know, um, in, in that stage of, of life, right? How do we go back there and explore? And I think more, even more so practically speaking, on the daily basis, do you have tools and practices um, that help you? You know, because this is it's a journey, right? This kind of this this kind of work, and and that's the stuff on this show that you know I'm trying to surface for people. There's there's, there's the tools and practices, modalities that can really go in deep, let's say, um, that you're really investing in. But then there's the, the micro things that we can do day in, day out. Right. Um, and and the, the thing I'll put on top of this, not a question, but maybe a statement. I don't see how you can't be a different dad having gone through this, this process. Oh, first of all, to answer the last question first, 
oh, I'm a different dad. There's no question about it. But I was, uh, but I wouldn't judge one dad over the other. And I wouldn't yeah, judge I like that. your dad's parenting or fathering with your siblings and you. There are good things and bad things that happened in both. And they're just very different. Mm. So, so I yeah, think well that's said. more, judgment is a very dangerous thing to play with because we, because we don't really know what's going on. Okay. So yeah. the other thing I would say, you said earlier, you, you thought, you know, we're all human. I think we are all human. And that's the problem because <laughs> you can turn yourself into a machine. You can turn yourself into a soldier. You can do whatever you want to try and do. To do it, you have to bury parts of yourself. You have to discipline yeah. yourself. You have to push those parts down. And you do that at your peril. Mm -hmm. I have come to believe that when you suppress these traumas, these parts of yourself, biologically very sensible for a long period of time, if I had known what I knew about what happened to me when I was little, I would probably have committed suicide. And I teetered on the edge at times, but I had enough survival strategies to hold it together. And I also have an interesting thought more and more about suicide as it's become more and more an epidemic, particularly among young people, is suicide is the question of do I want to live? Yeah. It's, and it has that piece of do I want to die? I wonder what happens when I die. All those questions of, you know, I've been there, you know. If I jump off, the, my fear was always heights. If I jump off this balcony, even when I'm happy, if I, what would happen when I hit the ground? You know, what's going to happen to me? And the terror hit, hit, kicks in and all these, you know, cortisol kicks in. But the other part of the question is, do I want to live? And that's the much more interesting question. And I think because we pathologize suicidality, we miss, and I can't claim to be an expert in this, but we miss the real question that's being asked, which is a legitimate question. Do I want to live? Coming back to your first question, what am I? What do I want to do? So the Institute, based on a method that comes out of Germany, uh, a man named Franz Rupert, um, IOPT, Identity-Oriented Psychotrauma Therapy. I'm glad I said it quickly because it doesn't matter and it's really bewildering, but really like the iPhone, very simple. What do you want? So I'll ask you right now, we're not going to do a session. It, I sort of play with this. It's too big a deal to get into. But what do you, yeah. what do you want right now? What do you want? I just want to, I want to be present and connect with you. Okay. So we would put that in a sentence. I want to be, so what I would do is you put it in a sentence. I want to be present. I want to connect with you. Now pick three words out of that. Present, connect. You. Okay. Notice. You didn't pick I, you picked me. To be able to really connect with somebody, you need to include that word I. Most people don't. And one of the only adult parental aspects of this methodology now is you must put I in the three words you pick. Oh, interesting. Everything else, you can do whatever you want to. So yeah. pick the word I and then pick two other words. Well, I see, I, I'm default and I'm questioning myself because I would say I, you, and present is what comes Okay, all right, mind. that's fine. That's fine. You can change it. So now what would happen in the session would be either we would do a one-on-one -on -one session. I would say to you, pick three objects. You can pick three objects. I don't think we need to do it right now. 
sure. three objects. Or if you're in a group session, you pick three people to resonate those words. Now you go, what is resonating? Well, going back to the beginning of our conversation, the universe is not molecular, it's energy. That's what quantum you know, mechanics and physics is talking about. Energy mm -hmm. emanates. That's what they've discovered. And energy emanates. So as an organism, you're emanating a tremendous amount of data. As an organism, you're also picking up a tremendous amount of data, incredibly detailed data to survive. And that's been happening since conception. All the objects around you are also resonating. The next movie I'm going to make a documentary is The Universe Sings, because everything vibrates with energy, because I want to dig into the whole question of resonating. But now, what I would say, so, so around this very simple idea, okay, you know, Mark, what do you, what do you want? Okay, I want to be present with you, I, you, I, present. Okay. Now what we would do is we would begin to see what you feel about the objects that you've now imbued with those words. So we'll take a minute and just pick three objects for those words. The I, and, there are, and what's around you, just the objects that are around you. Oh, okay. Um, well, this laptop, associate them to the word? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'd say uh, the laptop is, is you, the microphone is I, and this booth is, is present or present. Good. So what we would now do is I'd say to you, pick one of them and start to tell me what comes up. Now, we're not going to do it. And if you want to, we can do it at some other point, you know, yeah. it's because what comes up pretty quickly is very powerful, intimate stuff that goes back to very early. Because to be able to be present with me, and to be able to think about being present with me, to even be able to develop the words, even to be able to say the words, to be able to spell those words, lays out the whole history of your development. So, so when I'm starting to vibrate you and you're starting to vibrate these words, what comes up are the wounds that are keeping you from having that happen. So yeah. that's as much of the iPhone I want to get into, except sure. that almost within a session or two of doing this work, people are going back to early, early experiences. And in fact, what's really weird is when you do a group session, people start to say things like, I mean, it's just, it's sort of incomprehensible. I, I have this feeling like I'm, you know, I'm in a dark place. You know, you can kind of get a sense, okay, we're probably in the womb. And suddenly a flash of light comes through and I'm terrified. And wow. what you'll find is that's a cesarean. Yeah, okay. That the, that the degree to which another human being can sense when properly organized, and it doesn't take a lot and everybody can do it. It's why everybody goes to a party and needs to get stoned or drunk or try to get laid, or just, I mean, freak out, because you're picking up all these different other people feeling the same way. And I know my whole idea for becoming a director on a certain level, aside from discovering, oh, I want to do like, like Fellini, was I want to be able to go to a party and not be anxious. I want to just be, I want to be a movie director, and I can walk into a party and be cool. Well, folks, it didn't work. It never really worked. I got to make movies, but I still go to parties and get not so much anymore. And that's sort of over because I have gone back to that little boy in, in okay. Euro. And to kind of go on a what happens in a day-to-day, -day, one thing is to do sessions. I do sessions. I was doing sessions once every month. Yeah. You know, um, I was doing them on Skype originally because I was being trained um, 
in Norway and Germany, and I was living in Los Angeles, and we discovered that it works just as well online as in person. Um, and I really began to uncover, I mean, it's interesting. I had a session once, it came up to me last night because there's a whole other series of things I was dealing with, um, which I'll come back to in a second. There was an ice queen. One of the people was resonating an ice queen. An ice queen in a, she was white and ice queen. It was what that she sort of said. And that was my mom. My mom was an ice queen. And so that's what I experienced as a, t I loved my mother, madly loved my mother. I didn't even know I did madly love her until I went deep into this work. I just thought she's a drunk, a drug addict. She fucked up yeah. my life. But what I discovered very young was a very, very different thing. So the amount of knowledge you begin to pick up about you personally is so exciting, but also can be terrifying because you yeah. begin to go back to, I mean, the amount of terror that comes up in these sessions. And what's fascinating also, if, you, if you're the resonator, for instance, what I've experienced as a resonator when you're doing this in a group session, is the terror that goes through you, resonating someone else's terror, is massive. Your body goes into a state of terror that you know is not your terror. You know, yeah. this guy yeah. I know who did a session and he said, I want to dance. I want to dance. I want to dance. Totally macho guy. And it turned out she was a ballet dancer, you know, and he was dancing. I'm, I'm, and he felt like a girl. I mean, it was, and you get into all these things. The important thing about feeling the terror, someone else's terror in your body, which this work does, is your body gets used to terror. It's not your terror. It runs through your system. The cortisol is all going there. You're experiencing stuff. I mean, the stuff is, again, I use the iPhone as the sort of the, the metaphor. It is beyond comprehension. I have no idea how the iPhone works, but it works. And so mm -hmm. does this work. So then your body has gotten a little used to terror, and it's not your terror. So you can go back and face your own terror. And just as sort of a day-to-day -day thing, I find I wake up every night in the middle of the night because what happened to me happened in the middle of the night when I was four to six years old. And the terror is still there. But the terror, I just sit beside that terror. I don't do anything. I don't say anything. I sit beside that terror. I don't know what the hell's going on when I do it, really, except yeah. I wake up the next morning when I do, I, I go back to sleep. Also, I do have a spiritual um, program. I do believe in something much bigger. And so does a little kid. That's the thing that's interesting. The little kid in utero, and we know, I know all the science about what's going on, about 12 weeks, um, the, 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 probably the most sophisticated part of the brain comes on right away. That's what they're learning because it has to diagnose the situation. There's an earthquake going on. Cortisol is hitting me. I got to let the legs go and I got to protect the brain. So the very executive part of the brain comes on very early, not the reptilian brain. So, so you're dealing with, um, go back there. The, the kid is brilliant, but that's been buried a lot. So if you just sit beside the little kid, you wake up the next day and you write really good shit. Yeah. You're right outside the box. I also write poetry. I've published a book of poetry and I'm back and doing a lot of poetry. I'm kind of working on a musical right now, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, I'm very musical, but not as musical <laughs> as my damn brother. My brother's a much better musician. Than me. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. He sings all the time. You got to buy his book. He and Beverly <laughs> Gyllenhaal's book. You gotta buy this book, a wing and a prayer, or you'll you'll it'll change your life. And also maybe get an electric car, because that's helpful. <laughs> and their electric cars make much more sense. You can charge them at your house. Don't worry about the gas stations. You charge them at your house. Okay. So well so Steve, Steven, I mean, it, it, I think it's probably safe to assume we 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 need 
we needed at least two hours for this conversation. <laughs> uh, you, to say the least, my my curiosity is is beyond sparked, and I would love to to go down this uh, down this yeah. topic a little bit deeper with you on, uh, during another time if we can set that up. I do have to ask because part of you know as we're going through the the flow of of you asking me questions, my mind, it, what I've been struggling with is is just to follow my own intuition and and flow with this conversation and try to avoid well the fact that we booked this conversation is to talk about this documentary and I feel like I'm not doing that you know I'm not honoring that 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 commitment. However, I do have a question that. And hopefully we just spark people's curiosity. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a bit of a teaser to, to the film. I think I do have a question to bridge, though, that I'm curious to see your response yeah. in the four minutes that we have. With all of this work that you, you've described, how do you think this work has, has led you to this project to direct uh, and produce Uncharitable? I think, first of all, I think... We can go a little more than four minutes. I, I can take a little longer, okay. by the way. That, that's the kid going, yeah, we want to go a little longer. Let's go a little longer. No, no, we got to stop now. We have a hard day. No, we don't. We, we can kind of pull around. So it's like the two of them can talk back and forth. You know, it's like a little bit multiple personality, but not really. And that's a whole complicated subject we're not going to get into now. I think um, I started making the documentary because Dan Pallotta, who created the AIDS rides and raised half a billion dollars of unrestricted funds for AIDS, suicide, prevention and breast cancer. Um, and I knew him during the period of time that he did it. He was very successful, was destroyed by the sackcloth and ashes, um, you know, uh, nasty, which I've learned a lot about toxic world of the charitable sector, not the people working in it. 99.9% .9 of the people who work in it are honest and good, but they've been beaten down by this, this ethos that you have to do this all voluntarily. The major issues that we are addressing, climate change, suicide, health and welfare, healthcare, um, diploma, everything almost is under the umbrella of charity. I didn't understand that at first. What I understood yeah. was my friend had gotten screwed over. And I started the documentary seven years ago with an understanding as a filmmaker that there was a story here to tell. I didn't think it was as complicated as it had emerged. But what has happened has been, it happened almost at the same time that I discovered IOPT. I discovered what, what I call ID sessions. I work on the Identity Development Institute, the IDI. Um, it all happened at kind of the same time. As I was beginning to uncover, even though I'd had 50 years of therapy and analysis and 12 steps and spent a fortune, it wasn't until I started doing this work that I really began to get connected to the me. I met me all the, even though I'd been, broken apart and all these things and played with all this stuff. And again, being very privileged, was able to spend the money to explore all this stuff, you know, in, Be in Beverly Hills and Hollywood, blah, 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 all this sort of in New York City. I mean, it, it was a good step in the right direction, but I found this work was the most effective and it allowed me, so the psychology and the work in the Institute allowed me to address this subject, a profoundly important subject. Because it has been holding down the third sector in our culture. There's government, there's the for-profit sector, and there is the charitable sector, the mission-driven sector, the not-for-profit sector. That yeah. sector has been crushed and held down. And the movie, I think, is capable. In fact, what we've emerged with slowly, because I'm a little kid and I'm playing around and doing all this stuff, 
and I'm also an adult and I have, you know, I, sometimes I hate being the adult and I'm the producer and director and the director is the little kid and the producer is the adult is really what happened. <laughs> I love and, it. And usually the producer loses out to the director because the director says, I want to spend more money. I want to get this thing. And I, the producer says, no, you can't do it. And the director says, well, I'm going to do it. And the producer says, okay, you can do it. So it's a little bit of playing the chaos. And so I've been in making the movie struggling financially all the way along because it had to be made with donations. I was never yeah. going to get the way I have in the past as an adult investors into a movie. So I need to do this all with donations. So that's a piece of it, as you know, from the screening, it's yeah. all about donations. Now I'm asking for donations, not for the movie. The movie is done and comes out in nine days. Oh my God. Um, it's for the movement, the movement to unleash this sector. And because I'm a little kid, I can say around things, blah, 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 blah. I, I un uncovered this whole system for paying it forward, which is this method, very adult, but it took a little kid to understand, we got to go for it. We got to go for it. And everyone's saying, don't do it. And the little kid's going, I don't give a shit. I don't care. We're going to go for it. So the adult kind of came in and disciplined it enough so that now at the end of the film, you saw there's a QR code. Get the QR code. You donate as much as you can to the movement and also to free tickets for anyone who wants to go see the movie. So that, and the juggernaut of this, we'll see where it goes. I mean, there's a part of me, the adult part that goes, Stephen, to the little kid part. I've been doing enough movies over the years. This is going to be a tough journey. The little kid part says, are we going to win an Oscar? Are we going to win? Are we going to get fame? Nah, 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 nah. I'm going, it's, look, it's actually possible only because we're, we're the messenger. I think I mentioned yeah. that when I, I'm really understanding. I'm the messenger. And like messengers, they often want to kill you because this is a radical idea of profoundly unleashing the sector. So what I would say is go to the website uncharitablemovie.com. Get a feel for it. You can see the trailer. You can bring it to any theater near you by going to the website and we'll help you set it up. We'll maybe subsidize buying out the theater or giving free tickets to people or getting your people to donate that we're really talking about. And I think finally, the little kid part of me is going, I want to make the word charity powerful and sexy. Little kids shouldn't know yeah. that much, next, but it's sexy. Right now, you say you work in the charitable sector and they look at you like you're a loser. Yeah. If you're working for Coca-Cola or Goldman Sachs or screwing over people, and I mean, I, those people do good things, but not like the charitable sector does. Yeah. That's what I really want. I want it to be that the people who work in the sector, my little kid says, be sexy. Yeah. As much as a little kid knows what sexy means. <laughs> well, and I think the, the the power is 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 playing to both of those strengths of the the adult and the kid, right? Like I don't think there's there's anything wrong with with aspiring to win an Oscar for something like this, because to me that means that it it resonated with people and ideally impacted a lot of people. Because I know when I was sitting there watching this, I felt. I felt ashamed because I felt at first I felt ashamed. Then I felt motivated. Let's be clear. Um, but I felt ashamed at first because I thought, wow, I totally fell into that being duped by the messaging of, of the media, which is what you're, you're debunking. Right. I remember those, those, I, I, I remember, I don't remember the names of the charities, but I just remember that era of being like almost saying, Oh, there's another charity you know, doing good in the, in the work, but really are just whatever pain, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the donations aren't going to where they're, they say they're going, which is 
crazy. I mean, you have to watch the movie uh, just for that alone, right? Um, and then, then leaving feeling, well, this is more than doable to change you yeah. know, the perception. Because if it could change that fast from essentially a journalist to then you know, starting that movement, then I, I do believe that it can change for the good as well. And, and a film like this uh, is so powerful and, and, and so needed. I think I, I would go one step further. It is going to change. And yeah. I think the little kid hopes it's going to change really quick, which would be an Oscar. That's pretty quick, a year. Yeah. The adult goes, we're five or six years out. The first phase is this. The Oscar, we've been around Oscars. It's yeah. like whatever. They're fake gold things. You know, it's like, it's, you know, I've been to where the huge statues are and I've been to the Oscars a lot of times. It's all kind of, name to me, who won the Oscar last year? No one in Hollywood can remember. It's just yeah. whatever it is. It's yeah. useful as a way of saying it's important. I think you're right. But what's much more important is the millions and millions of people working in the sector being unleashed, being not yeah. just respected, but celebrated, being what they're doing, which is saving this planet. I mean, the adult part of me goes, it is very possible, folks, that on this little third-rate planet around an eighth-rate sun in a galaxy that no one knows about elsewhere, except maybe in Star Wars. They even Star Wars, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> could, we could lose the species. And the idea that there's nothing else out there in the universe is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. I mean, I yeah. don't know if the people come here, I don't know about any of that, but you're kind of going, do you really think we're it? Yeah. In an yeah. infinite universe that's expanding and we don't even know where it's come from? I don't think so. But I do feel it's possible that we won't make it. Oh, and yeah. Fact, you, know, you know, Van Jones, um, I was at an event with him, and he's an old friend, and, and he's awesome, and he's awesome. And I, that's the only name I'll really drop now, because he's just the most awesome. I heard him give a speech once, and he said, listen, everybody, you've got to do the work. Yeah. You've got, you've got to go out and do the work. And he said, you know, and he said, you've got to go out and do it, because otherwise, who knows what's going to happen? And then he said, you know, and he was sitting there, and he went, and we were in this big conference where I'd shown an early cut of the movie, and I mean, he said, you know, now I know most of you are secular. He said, I'm not, I'm religious. And he's always been very religious. He comes from the South. He said, and here's what I know. God gave us absolute freedom to do what we want to do. Absolute freedom to do what we want to do. And that means she doesn't know what's going to happen. Isn't that interesting? Literally told him afterwards, you just made me cry, you son of a bitch. Yeah. It did. And, that, and I cried because that's correct. That's, that's, I'll, I'll plant a flag in that certainty. Not that it's a she or a he or whatever. It's way beyond all of that. But that we have freedom. It doesn't make any sense that mm -hmm. whatever created whatever this is, whatever we're on, went, I want you to kneel down and worship me. It makes sense that a patriarchal idiot would want you to believe that so that they could wear white robes and, and feel yeah. important so they could do whatever they wanted. That I get, and, and they're so lost, it doesn't even matter anymore. But they're dangerous, those people. It doesn't make sense that the creator of this, whatever this is, way beyond our comprehension, when we realize that in utero, what works is when the organism is being loved, when the baby is paid attention to, when the mother knows to speak to the baby, to think about the baby. And that's another documentary that I'm almost done with called The Bond, but I'm going to change the name. It's, it's a shorter documentary. I've been working on it for a long time, which is just mothers should just be there for the baby. Just be there. Just yeah. 
And also, if you're stressed out, don't worry about it. Stress is okay. It's communicating to the baby and educating the baby. You're coming into a stressful world. That's okay. But if there's love there, everything's going to work out. If there's not love there, it's you're screwed and you have to work your way toward loving yourself, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But if yeah. that's the core of all of this, then of course we have freedom. Then of course we have to do stuff. And that's in the end why I made the movie. Because I wanted to slowly, with a lot of help from other people who helped me come up with the message, particularly Dan Pilata, um, who he and I bicker all the time. And if you can get to it, well, you saw us a little bit on the stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to do even more bickering because we bickered the whole time, like like two brothers, you know, like Anders. Let's go back to Anders again. You know, my brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think there's tremendous hope. It is love. And I think ultimately quantum mechanics and energy is all about love. I don't want to get too alternative healing and all that stuff. Although I do think there's, you know, that's well, a you're whole on the right show for that. But I think it's, I'm very much in that world, but very scientific that we have to go out and we have to do good yeah. where we can. And we have to also figure that 65% of the time we're going to screw up and 35% of the time we're going to get it right. Isn't that full circle? It's almost like you do this for a living for as a storyteller. <laughs> uh, Steven, honestly, this, uh, I, I know I'm going to exit this booth just in, in awe and, and with the greatest gift that you could give me, me firing up my own curiosity because that's what keeps me functioning yeah. and, and excited in this world. And so, I, I mean, there's so many things I want to thank you for. Of course, this time, uh, this conversation, and then absolutely the next one. We have to schedule that. But, but more no so, problem. you know, just just being the true you, being open, being vulnerable, and and most importantly, I think, doing the work, you know, yeah. because doing the work has is leading, again, I'll come back to this ripple effect of, of the, the, the work that you're putting out there, but doing the work on yourself is a direct, you know, reflection of what we're all experiencing. And man, that's powerful. And uh, we could, we could use more of that in this world. And I'm, I'm honored to, to play a small part in with this show to at least amplify um, that Pleasure. work. So Pleasure. I would edit one thing you said, yes. to do the work and the play. Yes. The work and the play. The yes. adult. The adult and the kid. That might be the title of this episode. <laughs> I will. Um, there's a few call to actions here. First and foremost, go. Uh, I'll put the links in the show notes. Go see uh, what the movie is all about. The doc. It's coming out. I'll time this to make sure it releases around that time. Uh, go buy yourself a Tesla. Go get uh, Stephen's brother's book and, and wife's book. And uh, most importantly, uh, just show up with love and and, and have and fun on this ride. And go to the Identity Development Institute website. Yes, I'll put that in there as well. Going as well. In fact, we're doing we're doing some um, outreach now. We're starting to scale it, in which the movie in utero, which is what started this whole thing, I have broken into pieces, and I'm doing sort of wraparounds to begin to explain everything we laid out with with images, because I am a filmmaker. So that's the yeah. last piece. <laughs> awesome. I will have it all there. Thank you again. Until next time. Yes, absolutely. You take care. Take care. 